Welcome to episode six of An Unscripted Woman, a podcast that's all about women living luminous lives. I'm Leo Cooper Jepson, and I'm so glad you're here. Since releasing my book at the end of 2015, many of you have expressed a desire to hear me read an audio version of my book, Unscripted, A Woman's Living Prayer. This podcast is my creative response to that desire. Each week, beginning in September 2016, I'll be reading a chapter from my book aloud on this podcast, and then I'll be riffing a bit on what I'm aware of and what I've learned since writing it. To make it easier to follow along, you'll find that each episode of this podcast correspond, corresponds to the title of each chapter of my book. And I'll remind you that you don't need to necessarily listen to the episodes in order same as you don't necessarily need to read the chapters of my book in order. To whet your appetite of what this podcast will be like, I'll be releasing the first six episodes this summer. The rest will be coming starting in September. Beyond that intention, I'm not entirely sure where this podcast will go, but I'm willing to find out if you are. I hope you'll join me, and here's how. Follow this podcast on SoundCloud or subscribe to it via iTunes so each new episode will magically appear in your podcast feed. If you follow my blog or my She Changes Facebook page, you'll see each episode posted out there as well. As always, you can find out more about me and my business at SheChanges.com. So here we go. Chapter 6, Why the Chicken Crossed the Road. Our dog Max is a beautiful boy a big black lab who is all heart and big clomping paws. But he's also weird, especially when it comes to floor textures. It began with the hardwood floors in the first few months that we brought him home, how he seemed skittish and skeptical that the floors would support him. My husband had a theory that the substantial fur between the pads of his feet were compromising his traction, but soon dropped that belief, opting instead to just accept that he's weird that way. And we love his weirdness, probably because we can relate to that in our family, even celebrate it. During the first year of his life, we watch Max's surface issues start to move beyond the world of hardwoods and into the realm of doorways, stairs, and ever so subtle texture changes, like from carpet to floor or from snow to dirt. We've started to outwardly and animatedly acknowledge Max for the everyday bravery it takes for him to navigate his small world, not to mention the trips to the vet and their oddly gripping rubber floors and shifting scale. Intrigued, we've taken to watching Max make crossings and cheer him on with love rather than roll our eyes with impatience and disdain. Because making a crossing is a big deal for Max, And when I think of that infinity symbol I've been playing with around the masculine and the feminine and the strength of my own internal resistance to crossing over from one realm to the next, I can relate to Max. It takes commitment, intention, and determination. But if you're really observant, you can also see that it takes a boatload of mustering. I was invited in to my son's second grade classroom not too long ago as part of their segment on heroes, having been thoroughly honored by one of his teachers who saw me as a hero because, as she said, I support people in being brave. I started off the talk by sharing with them my favorite word in the English language, muster. 
And then I told them that my work in the world is about helping people to make that word into a verb, mustering. That last little grammatical nuance might have been lost on that group of seven-year-olds, but they understood what I meant when I told them the story of where that came from. When I was in high school and college, I worked at a camp in New Hampshire, spending most of my days in or near the water, teaching others how to swim and be lifeguards. To get from one level of swimming proficiency to another level, certain criteria had to be met. When you got up to the shark level, for instance, you had to jump off the high dive to move to the porpoise level. Those were my favorite classes to teach because I loved watching a camper finally get down the syncopated movements of the butterfly or discover how they could do a back dive. But my most rewarding experience was working with someone who was scared to jump off the high dive but wanted desperately to move up a level. The camper and I would swim out to the dock where the high dive was, and I'd stand down below while she climbed up the ladder and walked to the edge of the board. I could see her toes curled over the edge of the board and her eyes as she looked down at the deep black waters of the lake below. Then the mustering began, sometimes taking minutes, but often taking as long as a half hour of standing out there on the high dive. The camp record was two and a half hours. To the naked eye, that girl out there didn't look like she was doing anything, but I knew better. She was mustering, garnering all her courage and organizing herself for what would be a tremendous act of bravery. And sometimes that process takes time, like it did for Max. Some mornings when I'd see him see him stand at the doorway of her boy's bedroom, all groggy-eyed and presumably needing to go outside and pee. His big paws stop just at the edge of the navy blue carpet where it abuts the threshold of our hardwood floors in the hallway. He stands, sometimes, sometimes anxiously, but always intently focused on the task ahead of him. Sometimes he whimpers, knowing full well that no one can make this crossing for him as he's no longer a puppy at 85 pounds. That these are his moments of mustering, and I've come to appreciate them just as I did as a swim instructor all those years ago when the front lawn of our camp came out of the dining hall to cheer on the girl who was still out there on the diving board. The act of mustering deserves a witness. After having told this story to my son's second grade class as a means to illustrate what mustering is, I came to see more clearly that this is truly, this is the true essence of the work I do for others. I stand with them as they consider, garner, rally, organize themselves, and play out various considerations, scenarios, and fears, and then eventually leap, all on their own, but with me witnessing them with a big grin on my face. It truly is my favorite word, mustering, and I'm often disappointed by how little airtime it gets in our daily conversations, given that it's such a key step to make, making a change. But sadly, to most people, I think it's overlooked, either because it's often a deeply private or invisible process, or because the value of it in our society is underestimated. I started to consider my own journey in life, and when it is that I feel close to those moments of hesitation at the edge of the navy blue carpets in my life, 
I notice, for instance, how much I resist moving into the feminine realm in my own life, even when I know it will serve me well. Like Max, knowing he needs to cross the hardwood floor to get outside to pee. Playing this out more, I was able to see the doubt, insecurity, and anxiousness I sometimes feel when I try to cross over and move more fully into the masculine energy inside me, raising my hands, stepping up, standing out, using the fullest expression of my power and my voice. I started to play with this idea of mustering, knowing it is valuable, but also asking myself how much time and space I had allowed myself to do just that, muster. In this context, I could start to see how I was often moving without much consciousness or intention from one realm of energy in me to another, understandably resulting in me staying where I was, where I was most comfortable and at home, my masculine energy, and only venturing into the deep black water of the unknown, my feminine energy, when it was absolutely necessary and after hours and hours of mustering. Anticipation is so often underrated. It's all about that sharp intake of breath, like the moment before you plunge into an icy cold ocean on a warm day. How do you set realistic expectations when you're scared or full of doubt? It's hard enough to leave the fleecy blanket of comfort for the open tundra of the unknown, but it's even harder if we assume it will be a non-event, comfortable or worse, the same as before. What I'm starting to more fully appreciate is that navigating from the feminine to the masculine sides of myself and back again requires a rite of passage, a crossing over a threshold just like Max does every morning when he wakes up. But it's more than just crossing over it, it's feeling it in my bones feeling the fear and the resistance, but ultimately trusting in whatever is waiting for me on the other side of that sharp intake of breath. I seem to require little mustering to move from my feminine energy into my masculine energy. But when the tides begin to turn on me and my circumstances and I I am called to move toward the feminine, I am like that girl standing out in the cold, all eyes on me, waiting and waiting and waiting until the last possible moment to jump, to make the crossing. I want to believe this isn't right or wrong, but simply an extension of how I've been trained to move through life and what our society values and consequently rewards. Too bad the entire world of grown-ups couldn't feel as expansive and supportive as those summer days at camp when time was the last thing we thought about and there were lots of people to cheer us on. Perhaps this pattern in me will never change and it's simply something I need to be mindful of to create more flow and grace in my life. There's a beautiful word in Italian that describes this invitation to cross over, attraversiamo. I first learned about this word when I read Elizabeth Gilbert's epic tale of exploration that put her on the map of women's culture, Eat, Pray, Love. This book, and ultimately that one word, opened up a door of possibility in me that started a conversation which gave way to permission that eventually ignited a quest to live my life whole, 
not half. It began one miserable March morning. I was sitting in my car, parked on the side of the road where the wide open main ocean nearly meets the pavement. My window was rolled down all the way and I could feel the cold mist starting to soak my clothes as I clutched my prayer beads, desperate for any insights, assurances, or signs delivered to me through meditation. I think I was rocking a little bit, as if to accelerate the effects of my meditation, which were minimal, I might add, especially on that day, when my burgeoning desire to leave my job was engaged in an ugly street fight with my common sense. Like the jets and the sharks, my longing for fulfillment and greater impact were in, in combat against my cushy benefits and perky stock options. I had been doing this meditation practice daily for months in an attempt to quell the warring factions in me, parking illegally on a road near the ocean in the brief moments I had between dropping off my toddler at childcare and racing into the gray cubicle nation that was my corporate job. Needless to say, it wasn't working. So on that morning, I put away my prayer beads and turned on the radio instead, another rare treat as a mom of a toddler. I happened to catch Elizabeth Gilbert being interviewed about her new book, the very one that would go on to become a worldwide phenomenon and mega bestseller, but at the moment in time was relatively obscure. She was talking about her journey that became the structure for her book, three months in Italy to explore pleasure, three months in India dedicated to spiritual exploration, and three months in Bali where those two elements intertwined. At the moment I turned in, tuned in, the interviewer asked one question that nearly succeeded in belittling a woman's courageous and heartfelt sojourn into yet another source of shame for women. It must have been nice taking all that time to find yourself, but don't you think that's rather decadent? I remember there was this long pause that I filled with my gasp as I waited to hear how she'd respond. Elizabeth calmly explained that there isn't a word for decadent in Italian because it's a concept that's simply foreign to them. She went on to say that she thought we had a problem in America with valuing and receiving pleasure, so often confusing that basic human need with selfishness. It's such a gloriously intriguing and sexy-sounding invitation. Let's cross over. Truth be told, that's part of the reason that term works for me, I think. It's just so damn alluring, feeling myself do a little salsa move in response to that invitation without even realizing I've agreed to anything. Magnetic and sexy language always greases the skids of a transition. When I think of crossing over, I find my hips start to sway involuntarily as if some memory deep down inside my woman's body knows the way home, and I'm reminded of the birth of my youngest child. The entire time I labored birthing him, I slow danced with my arms draped around my husband's neck as I moved my hips in a deliberate figure eight movement again and again for nearly 20 hours. Somewhere in my brain, I knew this movement I had learned. I knew this was a movement I had learned in class from my wonderful friend, Jean Handy. 
I even recall Jean telling us that belly dancing in its essence is a birthing dance. It helps to get the baby in and then it helps to get the baby out. When I did the dance in class, my movements were awkward, stilted, and staggered, like I was trying to create a curved drawing on graph paper. But this birth was different. It was instinct talking, not my brain. That baby I gave birth to is now nearly eight, coincidentally. And I have once again resumed my awkward moves, the physical manifestation of the I-don't-know-how-to-do-this dance we do in our minds. But something in me, some instinct, is craving that movement again now. When I first started playing with the infinity sign to frame how the masculine and feminine energies live within me, I was hoping the rounded curves and graceful intersection would somehow inform me and miraculously connect my dots to what I had been missing. I wanted to design an experience of moving through life that would be so appealing and magnetic that it would have me saying, where do I sign up? That's what I thought about it as I traced my pointer finger in the air and moved my hips in the shape of an infinity symbol. Could I move through my life more fluidly as if it's one continuous motion and not a series of starts and stops? Could I be that line? I wanted to try. What matters most is that both sides of me feel honored and leveraged fully from the outermost reaches of the masculine to the further limits of, of our feminine with genuine desire, more frequency, and more grace. Getting my bearings, orienting me inside my own geography so I could more effectively see myself, that is what this framework was starting to do for me. I was beginning to see more clearly. Naming where I am will help me to know what I need. Having a sense of where I am in this masculine-feminine loop of mine, X marks the spot, was becoming a way that I could engage in this conversation with myself while also having me stay in motion, like how a dancer spins again and again by snapping her head around to orient herself on a fixed spot. Here are a couple scenarios that I use to test the waters of my framework and take it for a spin. I'll start with the masculine because that's usually what I do. So here I am. I'm hanging out in the masculine energy. My hair is on fire with all sorts of new ideas that have been percolating in me for a while, but I've never really attempted to put into action. Things are just falling into place for me everywhere I look. I'm focused, I can see my vision clearly, and I'm extremely decisive as I start to put things into place. Picking up the phone or sending out emails to people is easy and effortless as I coordinate all the details of setting up dates, designing the event, contracting my collaborators, and nailing down the logistics. Everything just seems to flow from here, and it's fun for me, having me lose track of time as I operate from the zone. Items fly off my to-do list, and I've got a jaunty spring in my step as I walk home. If this day were to have a soundtrack, it would have Pitbull mixed with some Lady Gaga and Black Eyed Peas blasting in the background. I'm feeling powerful, productive, and on top of my game. And then, later that week, I start to question everything. A client cancels, someone leaves my Facebook page because on a particularly thorny post that included the word fuck. 
One of my friends comes home from school with lice. One of my kids comes home from school with lice. And I start to notice that everything in my life seems to be coming apart at the seams. The dog is neglected. My husband and I are like two ships passing in the night. My clients are having to remind me of things I've forgotten. My kids are acting out and extra needy. My house looks like a bomb went off in it. The receipts are falling out of my wallet. The bill basket is overflowing. The fridge is empty and the car is out of gas. I stopped making lists because it feels like I would simply be rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. I'm going down. I can't stay afloat. If this week were to have a soundtrack, it would be filled with sad and soulful tunes like Bridge Over Troubled Water by Simon and Garfunkel, Someday Soon by Katie Tungstall, or Kathy's Song by Eva Cassidy. I'm feeling overwhelmed, insecure, and exhausted. I unplug and put everything down. I stop caring so much about what other people think, and my give-a-shit meter drops to an all-time low. I let the dishes pile up in the sink, and I get up and I get into the garden, noticing how good the rich earth feels on my bare feet. I spend Saturday morning sitting on the stoop of our front porch, talking with the neighbors and sitting in the sun. My littlest and I talk about what dappled sunlight means and reflect on how our front yard is the perfect blend of sun and shade. Later that morning, I pull out some cookbooks and flip through them, inspired by the colors of the season and wanting to create a new way to eat from them that night with stuff I picked up at the local farmer's market. Somewhere in the mix, one of my sons turns on the music and we have an impromptu dance party, pulling my husband out of the driveway where he's changing the oil in her car and into my arms we, to dance like we did at our wedding. At our eyes, as our eyes meet, there's a promise of time alone tonight, naked. The soundtrack to this weekend is filled with songs that are imbued with playful invitations and sultry moments, like Michael Ferranti with some Maroon 5 and Pistol Annie's mixed in, reminding me of expansive days, free time, and family road trips. I'm feeling grateful, connected, and grounded. Presence in motion, noticing where I am and responding accordingly, feeling my way as I move from here to there and back again, crossing over and looping back around on myself through my massive geography in one continuous line of living. I was starting to get the sense that this is how I might, might, it might feel to unleash the full power of both masculine and feminine energies inside my body. So that's chapter six of my book, Why the Chicken Crossed the Road. And here's a little bit of a riff on where I am since, since writing that. Um, I'll start with this whole concept of mustering. Uh, and that the fact that it is often invisible and it's deeply private and it's, it's like we don't um, give it its just desserts or due diligence. And it is so very important because from where I sit and where I live, mustering is where transition happens. It's not necessarily the change um, it's not, there's a difference between change and transition. When I was studying and getting my master's in organization development, I really appreciated 
the scientific differentiation between and behavioral science between transition and change. And this can be attributed to Bill Bridges, who wrote a great book on managing transitions. And he said transition is the psychological process of moving from here to there. Change is the event, is the change is the actual um, event. But transition is the psychological adaptation, the readying. Uh, of moving from here to there. And that's where I'm talking about the work of mustering. And so what I've been really playing with is allowing myself and designing for myself and also for my clients um, space and place and talking about tools that allow us the, um, allow us the opportunity to muster so um, uh, seeing, giving ourselves space to allow ourselves to do that work. So by work, I mean readying ourselves psychologically, engaging our fears around in that space of what will happen if, then what would I do? And actually spending time holding counsel with those fears as much as you're spending time engaging in the desires. What I really want is this, and naming what you want, naming where you want to go, but also naming what you're resistant to, naming what you're noticing. And that is all the process of sort of readying that. And that happens, if you envision walking across a threshold of a doorway, there's that piece of wood that lays on top of hardwood floors, and it's designed to not have you see where the wood meets. It's sort of a piece of wood that makes it more pretty, um, and it's called a threshold. And a lot of people, next time you go through a doorway, look through the threshold, because a lot of people ignore that piece of wood. My work is that piece of wood. I swear, I swear that's the essence of my, my work. Is And I, I have a, um, a client who's also a therapist, and she gave me this great word, uh, clinical word to describe it. It's called liminal space, L-I-M-I-N-A-L. It's not even, it's hard word to find if you Google it. But a liminal space is, is literally the space in between here or there. It's the gray space. It's not neither black nor white. It's the space in between. And my work in the world and the space that I offer my clients and what I try to do for my own life is to bring some intention and some honoring uh, and some discipline, frankly, to that liminal space, that threshold space, that space where mustering is the most important work you do. And I really want to highlight that to the naked eye and to most people, mustering is invisible. Uh, but if you ever see someone do something brave, like think about bungee jump, someone bungee jumping off a bridge, there's that moment where you're, every moment you stand on the bridge before you leap, you haven't, you haven't left. You haven't taken off the harness. I've never bungee jumped, but I can imagine you're constantly engaging in that conversation of do I or do I not want this? And then you keep re-enlisting and re-enlisting and re-enlisting and discussing it until you actually do it. So that's the, what I mean when I'm talking about mustering. The other place that I'd, I'd offer up is this whole concept of range that I talk about in this chapter. 
And I talk a lot about the outer reaches of the masculine and the outer reaches of the feminine. And in the absence of not really learning to tend to and visit the outer reaches of my own internal geography, I'm living a smaller life than I want to be living. There's more to me than I'm letting um, come out and play. And so, um, so one of the ways I demonstrated this, I just did this recently at an event a couple weeks ago called Unscripted Evenings, is I, I use music a lot. I, I'm an um, auditory person, so I use music to sort of grease the skids for myself of where I want to go. So I have three distinct playlists that I use. I have the masculine energy playlist, which um, that was the easiest for me to make. That's the one I run to, I compete with. That's the one I use to jack myself up, to get myself jazz. I, I know that music. Uh, it's easy to do. Then I've got the feminine playlist. And that I notice I don't play as often. And I'm more resistant because it takes me... It slows me down. It takes me to an inner place. And that's inevitably where I encounter my resistance. So I don't play that one as frequently as I play the, uh, the masculine playlist. And then I have this other playlist, which if you envision the twist in the infinity sign, that's where the crossing, what I'm talking about, making a crossing happens. And I call it my mustering playlist. And that's music, and I'll put these on Spotify. If you find She Changes on Spotify, you can find all three of these playlists. Um, but Mustering is the playlist I use, and the music just makes me move my feet. It's kind of a, a mixture between playful, happy-go-lucky, sort of road trip music. And it brings to mind motion, whether it just gets me stepping my feet or... Um, feeling like I'm heading, heading out somewhere on a road trip. It's, that music and that playlist is an invitation to me. And so I use, so what I did last, um, a couple weeks ago at this event is I played, I played the entire range of, of me, um, uh, musical range of me, if you can imagine that. So if you look at the cover of my book, if you open up my book and you look at the entire cover of it, that entire photo shoot was done to music to this playlist. So my intention is that I wanted to physically demonstrate, physically demonstrate to the best of my ability what the masculine and feminine energy looks like in a woman's body, in this case, my woman's body. So I had my photographer capture me as I was dancing to this music, and then my designer sort of created a montage of it that showed the fluidity of a range. When I was on um, in front of an audience a couple weeks ago, I had this playlist that I pieced together with, I think, 15 or 16 different songs. And I invited people to stand up and just and to, to move. I was going to move my body, and I showed them what I was talking about. But I said, notice how the music wants your body to move. No, let the music take the lead and have your body follow it. So I started out on the far masculine side and I think I had It's Tricky by Run DMC and I had Butterfly and I had some Pitbull and I had some um, Shakira and I had some, a whole bunch of other music and I just played little blips of it and I, and I showed how when I was in the masculine my arms were out, my fists were often punched 
and I was I was making eye contact with people. I was feeling sexy. I was feeling saucy. I was feeling audacious. I was feeling bold. I was like wanting to chest bump, and I was very expansive. I was pushing my arms out as wide as I could, and my legs were sort of out wider, and I was stomping a lot. That was the masculine energy. And then as the music sort of shifted to this mustering space, again, the twist, the crossing over in the infinity loop, um, my arms came in a bit, my hands unfolded a bit, and sometimes my I was looking at people, and sometimes I was looking down at the ground. And it was kind of this in-between space, this where the tide goes in and the tide goes out in me. And then it moved me over into some of the feminine, the songs on my feminine playlist. So I had Brave by Sarah Barrielis, and I had some Eva Cassidy songs, and I had um, Jason Mraz, and I had some other songs until gradually the songs, there were, there were no lyrics. It was just instrumental. And as we moved further and further to the outer reaches of the feminine, my eyes shut. And at first they, they were down and they were down and I went inward and my eyes started to shut. And then I found what I typically do is my hands go from the outward and the masculine to touching my body. So inevitably... When I'm really inward with music, one hand is on top of my heart and one hand is on top of my solar plexus or my gut. And I start hitting my body almost like a heartbeat. And it just brings me inside. And so I demonstrated this. I had no idea if it would fly or if it was just me. I, I mean, I was more than willing to make an ass of myself as I generally am, but it was so awesome to see the response of the crowd because music is something that's universal and we can identify with it. So the invitation that I made to the group that night was make make a playlist. Music works for me. It greases the skids. For some people they use um, aromatherapy and scent and some um, scents will do that for them. Some people use food and they have spice and they have lemon and they have you know honey and they have other things um so it it generally involves using leveraging your senses so um with that um i want to close with this idea of you heard me talk at the end of the chapter around presence and motion and me not wanting to identify with one side of the infinity loop or the other the masculine or the feminine but realizing that I wanted to be the actual line of the infinity sign that travels throughout the realms of masculine energy in myself and the realm of masculine, feminine energy in myself. And so this is what I mean when I talk about being a living prayer. This is what I mean, um, that I talk about so often I'm a blur of motion, but I'm not fully present and, and that's what I'm looking to finesse for myself in life is for a living, to be a living prayer for me is to, is to, as I pray, to be moving my feet. It's an African proverb that I love. As you pray, move your feet. And so being a living prayer for me is not choosing one over the other, masculine over the feminine, inward versus the the outward, um, not choosing, but but being a fluid line between the two and grabbing all the fuel inside us 
to be who we want to be in this life and to do the work that we want to be doing in this life. That is my living prayer, and that is what I mean. So, okay then. Thanks for listening to this episode. This is the sixth and final episode before I take a break for August, and I will be back in September with the rest of the book, which will dig in first to the masculine, and then we will head into the feminine, and then we'll move into integrating both a little bit more. So lots more chapters to come. Thanks for listening to this. And here's to living unscripted, to having access to more of who we are and letting our bright lights shine freely. Go ahead, be luminous. I'll talk to you in September.